The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 228. I hope that you guys are doing very well today. If you are struggling with OCD or anxiety, then you can get a free session with me. To get that, you can head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. There you can use my Calendly to book yourself the the free session or you can uh, send me a message. In today's podcast, I interview Mudder Nan Webster. Uh, Mudanan is deeply committed to helping others expand their potential. As a licensed marriage and family therapist, she often encourages the use of yogic technology, including mindful meditation, to support clients as they bring polarized thoughts into harmony. The integration of Eastern and Western therapeutic methods inspired her to release her first book, The Stressless Brain, in 2018, along with several meditation music albums focused on breathwork and chanting. In addition to running a successful private practice out of Napa, California, she is currently writing her second book. Um, If you would like to find out more about uh, Muranan, you can check out her website, uh, which is mudanan.com, and that's spelled M-A-D-H-U-R-N-A-I-N.com. We cover a lot of ground, including the importance of using um, uh, meditation for for anxiety and stress, the, the differences actually between anxiety and stress. And we also explore uh, Mudanan's interesting story of how she uh, really got into meditation from a very, very young age. Um, we also take a look at um, some of the some of the difficulties that parents face um, with anxiety when you know when bringing up children. Uh, something that I recently have been uh, experiencing myself. So we take a look at that, and and Mudanan shares some some really helpful uh, tips and ideas for what you can do if you're struggling, uh, you know, with children who might be. Uh, having their own anxiety issues and you're not sure what to do to to support them in the best way. As always, if you have any questions, then do please uh, feel free to let me know. And I really hope that you enjoy. Many thanks. Hi, Mudanan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, so you are a, uh, a licensed um, uh, family and, uh, and, and couples therapist, a psychotherapist uh, with many years of um, experience working with people and uh, more recently, uh, well, maybe not more recently, but you've, you've just kind of written a book about, about stress. Um, yes. Could you start off just uh, giving us a bit of a background about yourself, please? Yes. Yeah, so um, like like you mentioned, I've been a psychotherapist for about 23, 24 years. And I um, I love my profession. I was just on vacation and I was just like, 
missing my clients and missing being at work. And, um, and so, as you mentioned, I work with families, I work with a lot of couples and, and over the years, because I'm a psychotherapist, I love learning. That's one of the things about myself that I often share is I love learning. I love reading books. I love taking courses. And in the years of reading a lot of self-help books, I just noticed something that kind of drove me nuts, which is a lot of self-help books is really full of empathy and well, descriptions of what you're feeling. Mm. So you're reading and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, I totally, I can resonate with that. And that, oh my God, they hear me. And then you finish the book and you're like, but what do I do? <laughs> that's actually, yeah, exactly my experience of so many, so many books over the years. Yeah, you're yes. absolutely spot on. They're really good at, at, at diagnosing the problem, but not so great at finding the solution. Yes. And so I I was just like, you know what? I really want to write a book. I feel I felt like that was a really big achievement in my career. And I love helping people. And so I wrote this book, The Stressless Brain, and half of the book has resources in it. So it does have um, descriptions, the difference between anxiety and stress and what happens to our body with anxiety and stress and what can cause it. But it really has a big section on what to do to help manage our stress and anxiety. And it is primarily using the technology of meditation. Mm. Okay, fantastic. How would you uh, define the difference then between stress and anxiety? So everyone has stress. That is a normal thing. It's a normal course of life. And it could be that you're rushing to a meeting or a doctor's appointment or to pick up your kid from school and you hit every single red light and and your heart races a little bit and, and you're feeling a sense of like, oh, urgency. And of course, everyone's different. There's a huge spectrum and we can always get into how stressed we get. But when we get to the situation, the stress should be just gone. And that's normal. Um, You know, if we have a big presentation, it's normal. I was talking to someone just this this week about feeling stressed before a big work presentation. And I said, well, Mm. as long as when you present and then after that, the stress is gone, like the, the sensations in your stomach or, you know, the nervousness in your in your head or your jaw is tight. But when the experience is done or has started or somewhere in between, that stressful feeling should be gone. Mm. The difference is with anxiety, it's a perpetual feeling. So it's when people are walking around with a low grade or high grade of just this, like I, I often describe it as like a buzzing in the body of, of just constant anxiety. It could be people have IBS. It could be that people get headaches. It could be that people's minds are constantly racing and that makes their heart race because there's a huge correlation between what you're thinking, your mind, but then also how your body reacts. Mm-hmm. And when you're in anxiety, that's when you start having more issues. It starts impacting your life. It impacts your decisions. It impacts your health. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a really good way of describing uh, the differences, I think. Um, Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, Okay. And so I think a big, big part of of your work then from uh, what you were just saying and from what I've read so far in your book is, is obviously meditation. Uh, to, to help people, both people with stress and people with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that meditation uh, can have a huge, make a huge impact on, on that. Uh, certainly myself and many people over the last 10 to 15 years 
um, you know, have been slowly introduced to, you know, mindfulness and meditation. Uh, it certainly wasn't something that I grew up with. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, inertia that I initially mm-hmm. had about it. You know, I kind of thought, well, this, you know, this, this, this isn't something. This is it's just a little bit weird. weird. Yeah, it's just a hippie thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a fad. And, and and actually, science is, you know, proven beyond doubt now that you know, yeah. meditation can have uh, an, a, an incredible uh, effect on people's mental health in, in many different ways. Um, but you had a, a very different introduction, actually, to, to meditation and yoga. Um, could, you, yes. could you tell us about that, please? Yeah. So my parents are both United States Americans and they were part of the hippie movement, as you were just uh, mentioning, and also quite radicalists for against the Vietnam War. And they were into wanting to live off the land and, you know, like live in communities and so forth. And so they were traveling through the United States, the West Coast, and they stumbled upon yoga meditation in the Kundalini community. And liked it and joined along. And so um, they actually ended up moving to Europe where I was born in Amsterdam, Holland. And then I moved to Germany when I was about three years old. And my parents lived there until I went to call or beyond college. Mm. And so I grew up in a very... um, ashram experience like I mean it's it I often chuckle because there's a lot of mainstream things now that most many people know about that I've been doing for 50 years and um and before we were all very weird and strange and 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 my upbringing was definitely still weird and strange but there are certain components that I have spent my time in my adult years kind of sifting through to look at what like what are the nuggets and some of the gems and then leaving some of the you know like cult-like mindset that most religions can have and Mm. and leave that stuff behind and so yeah yeah it's a really interesting story um you mentioned uh in in the book that you you know you uh even when you were in your mother's womb you were you know you were probably were experiencing the benefits of meditation even at that point um you know something i really uh, really liked because yeah it's true so many of us um i think uh have recently come into contact or more recently come into contact with meditation and perhaps mm-hmm. grew up with uh, a negative view of it. Yes. Um, and it, it's great that that's been turned on its head. That, that, and also just to actually say, I think most people have been exposed to meditation, but it wasn't called that. It was called prayer. Mm, okay, and prayer yeah. Prayer is the original meditation. It's, mm. it's you know, like if you're Muslim or Sikh or Christian or Jewish or Buddhist, even Hindu, all these different religions, you're when you're reciting or reading from the Holy Scriptures, it is actually a form of meditation. And one of the research studies in, um, in that I mentioned in my book from Scandinavia, I think it was Sweden, they actually did research with all the different religions and their their prayer or talking in tongue even, and they found they all impact the same part of the brain. The thing is, is that we just call it meditation now, but prayer, I think, is the original meditation. That's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't didn't know that at all. So yeah, brilliant. Um, okay, and and so in in your view, why why is uh, meditation so so beneficial if you know if you are struggling with anxiety or stress um you know the research is 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 out i mean it's very clear mm-hmm. that it is but 
But what, why is that? Well, there's a couple things. So meditation, often we think of breath meditation and breath meditation. The first thing it does is that it relaxes your sympathetic nervous system and increases your parasympathetic nervous system. So the way I think about it is S sympathetic nervous system, S for stress. Mm -hmm. And when we have the stress, we're in sympathetic nervous system, which means you're revving your glands, you're revving your, your body's going like at some level. All of that. And when you meditate, you lower the sympathetic nervous system and you increase the parasympathetic. So I use P for pleasure, like happiness. Mm. So you raise the parasympathetic nervous system and that helps us to feel happier and more relaxed. So that's like the simple way to kind of look at it. And um, the other way that I bring it in with psychology is, is that our mind, our mind thinks in contrast, right, wrong, good, bad stop, Mm. go. Mm. And everything that we do in life is constantly going through our mind in some form of that, those lenses. Mm. Because of our childhood experiences and trauma and drama in life, and we we create all these different lenses that Mm. impact how we see life, which then impacts how the amygdala is reacting to what we're thinking. So meditation brings another component in where it helps to start changing the quality of your thoughts and the space between your thoughts. And when that happens over time, it it just changes your overall um, overall reaction to life stressors. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like that because I think um, what you just said there, the space in between the thoughts this is particularly important um, when it comes to to problems like OCD, um, you know, because yes. so so often a thought comes up, an obsessive thought comes up, and you know, people habitually will act on that because mm-hmm. there's not enough time to really see the the feeling um, of intense anxiety and then the connection to to that thought. Um, right. you know, if we're not able to separate those two things then the compulsion gets performed before you even have a chance to realize what's going on. Right. And, you know, often people say, <clears throat> oh, just stop and count to three. But if you, if your mind's going and going, there is no, there's no time to even pause. Hmm. It's, it's an automatic response yeah. with meditation. It's not about silencing your mind and stopping your thoughts that's impossible Mm. you know i if if your brain stopped functioning you would be dead so it really is about it's about slowing down creating space Mm. and often in meditative state you don't you're you're not always aware of how long that space is like by the time you realize oh i'm not thinking the moment is over and that's like another whole conversation mm-hmm. but with ocd it is it you know o- ocd or being reactive like anger reactions like if people mm-hmm. have tempers or um depressive tendencies or um over worrying like catastrophizing tendencies mm. all of these things that are more of a g a, a knee-jerk reaction in life mm. that it is like how do we stop in between and meditation helps the mind to slow down to start creating a pattern throughout one's day mm. that's one 
I, I am a huge component of chanting, which is even considered more strange in meditation because <laughs> it's often like, why am I sitting here repeating something again and again? Or why mm. am I repeating something or chanting something that's not, I don't understand what I'm chanting or saying, and that feels weird or is, you know, who's going to see me kind of thing. But chanting actually also does that pause and breaks the cycle of repetitive thinking and repetitive behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something else that I, I noticed um, in your book is you you talk about the vagus nerve and, and the, mm -hmm. the importance of of doing meditations that help you uh, to activate the, the vagus nerve. Could you tell us about that, please? Yes. So the vagus nerve is in the center of our chest and it connects to every organ and gland in our body, except for our adrenals, because our adrenals are our, our fight and flight. And we don't want them to be relaxed because our system needs, you know, needs it to stay alive, especially our ancestors. If we were being chased by a cyber toothed tiger, um, but the vagus nerve, so it connects to every organ and gland except for the adrenals. And when you stimulate the vagus nerve, it actually lowers um, the sympathetic nervous system, increases the parasympathetic nervous system. It also helps to lower inflammation in your body mm. and depression. And the um, vagus nerve is stimulated by pulse, rhythm, and sound. So if, if you're chanting or singing, I have some clients who don't want to chant, but I encourage them to take singing lessons or join a choir that also stimulates the vagus nerve and does a bunch of other things, but rhythm and pattern in your body stimulates it. There actually was um, some medical professionals like um, in New York city who created a little box, a machine, not a machine, but a little box that they implanted into your body. You push mm. a button and every day it stimulates your vagus nerve. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, but you can do that with breath. You can do that with chanting and it's free yeah. and you don't have to have surgery and, <laughs> yeah. and not to put an object in your body. So yeah. um, even, you know, long, deep breathing won't stimulate it as much as pulse breathing, or I call it segmented breath. And I have a, um, an album on iTunes and Spotify called meditations for the vagus nerve mm. and pulse breathing is when you're, you're inhaling in pulses as you increase your breath. So I'll do it a little louder into the mic so you can hear it. So Let's go. you hold your breath you, you suspend your breath out so it's not an in in and out in and out it's slowly inhaling like in three parts or four parts or eight parts mm. and each sniff is inhaling and filling your lungs one piece at a time or one part at a time and then you I hold did. your breath yeah. And then you do a say the same exact pulses out, or you could even just do one breath out that pulsing actually stimulates the vagus nerve. Mm. And, and so there's a lot of health benefits to stimulating the vagus nerve. It'll, like I said, the main thing is, um, raises parasympathetic nervous system, relaxes sympathetic nervous system. And I even have clients who are executives and, and um, very busy in the business world. And I say to them, like, if you're in a business meeting and you feel yourself starting to get stressed, like you don't have to do it so strongly because it's internal. You can just do a little. Yeah. And people are not going to know that what you're doing, yeah. but it is pulsing and it, and it lowers it relaxes you from the inside. Absolutely. I think it's really important that people do have uh, tools like that, that they can use uh, throughout the day yeah. you know, to, to help them in moments of stress or, you know, to just 
tune into the body or to activate the parasympathetic response. Yeah. Um, you know, because if we don't, then the stresses of modern life, you know, are likely to keep putting us back into that sympathetic response. Yeah. What we want. Um, so yeah, so whether it's that or whatever it is, but it's finding, finding, finding little tools like that, they can make a, a big, big difference. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. this hour long thing. It doesn't have to be even a t- twice a day for 20 minutes, which is very mm-hmm. transcendental for yeah. approach. It really can be three minutes here or one minute there yeah. throughout the day. The big piece though, is really trying to do it every day. Yeah. Because it, it, it's like, it's like training a muscle. It, it's like, going, it's like you want to be fit at the gym. You can't just go once every couple of weeks. Mm. That's not going to get you fit. You yeah. need to go every day and have a routine. But again, it doesn't, you know, for meditation, it does not need to be this long time, even for beginners or bringing it first into your life. Start with three minutes. I mm-hmm. often tease people, people poop for longer than three minutes in the bathroom so you can sit down and meditate for three minutes <laughs> absolutely yeah absolutely um something that i do is the 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 wim hof method um mm. and uh obviously wim hof method the, the breath work is a big part of this um uh, there's there's the cold element as well um but yeah the breath work is is really important um it's something that really helped me in terms mm-hmm. of well, in different ways of, of learning how to, to breathe better, to breathe yeah. deeper. Um, but also through the breath work, you know, I was able to, to experience, um, you know, very deep levels of relaxation and mm-hmm. um, all sorts of uh, benefits that I seem to, to get from doing it. Um, you also mentioned that you, you because obviously with, with uh, Kundalini, yeah, uh, you have Kundalini, uh, Kundalini breathing. Um, yes. Do you practice and, that as well then? Um, you mean like like the breath of fire? Yeah. Like the I do. I do. I do just a, I maybe do a couple minutes every morning. It's part mm. of my routine. Mm. And I I think about again, that does stimulate the vagus nerve as well. It's yeah. it's a fast breath. It also heats you from the inside out. Mm. And it's a great way to wake up your body. Yeah. Um You know, the other thing too, coming back to what you were saying, I mean, like the breath is so important because the very first response in your body to any kind of crisis, Mm -hmm. real or imagined, is your breath change. Mm. It's the very first thing. And when you're in the hospital, if you go into any kind of distress or, or problem, the very first thing they usually give the patient is oxygen. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, and I, you know, I always tell, tell people, like I have a quote, which is breathing keeps you alive. Meditation keeps you sane. (laughs) I saw that on your website. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, you know, we need breath to stay alive, but we need the meditation. If it's breath meditation or chanting or reading your scriptures or whatever, but taking this time where you bring your mental focus to something else out which, which is outside of you but within you it's your breath or your mm-hmm. chanting or your listening or whatever yeah. but by bringing that mental focus and pulsating on a breath or focusing on a mantra or focusing on a prayer that you're reading when you do that it that's what helps to change the quality of our thoughts mm-hmm. and, and what i mean about that is like there's a lot of people who are like i'm such a stupid idiot or, you know they beat themselves up i'm not good enough or i'm too much 
or they're inflated and they're doing it to others. Like they're critical and judgmental and that person's mm. this and that person's that. And yeah. I was having a conversation with a client yesterday and, and he's quite grandiose and he, and he knows it. He says, I know I'm grandiose and I judge everyone, but deep down it's because I really judge myself harshly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so in a way, actually what you're saying, I, I think is that through, through breath work, uh, or meditation you can improve the quality of your thoughts as in you can also start to become a bit more aware and a bit more self-compassionate with your with your thoughts and letting go of this perfectionism and, yeah uh, yeah or or yeah re rearranging it like like sometimes hmm. Um, sometimes what is negative in our personal life is actually quite successful in our career, like certain thinking and behavior, mm. like we're very driven and, and a leader yeah. and, and, and just like um, outspoken and strong. It, mm. If you're a manager or a CEO or you're building your own business, that's an asset. Yeah. But if you're bringing that into your home with your partner and you're bossing them <laughs> around or you're yeah. thinking you're always right, they're going to be like, I don't think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, that really uh, draws us into to the kind of next part of the podcast where we wanted to, to perhaps spend a little bit of time talking about um, relationships and, mm -hmm. uh, and, par and parenting. Obviously, uh, yes, I just had um, a, a baby. Uh, well, she'll be uh, a month old, actually, uh, tomorrow. Yay. So uh, her birthday is coming up. And um, yeah, a month ago, I was in a very uh, stressful place, um, you know, because mm -hmm. when she was born, um, so my, my girlfriend had this thing called placenta previa, which um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's when the placenta is, is uh, very low lying mm -hmm. and it's blocking the, uh, the exit. Um, and it can mm -hmm. be quite dangerous. Um, yeah. And so they they had to to do the uh, cesarean, and she was four weeks uh, premature. Um, mm. And they gave her these, uh, or gave my my girlfriend these these shots um, in order to steroid shots in order to um, to uh, to to make sure that the lungs were functioning correctly for for the baby. And yeah. it turns out they didn't work as well as they mm -hmm. should have done. And so when she came out, she was struggling to, to breathe. And so straight mm. away, oxygen. And it, as yes. soon as you said that earlier about the oxygen, I was like, yes, I know that is true. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> that happened to my little baby. And, um, you know, it was terrifying because yes. you know, the baby was born. They presented uh, her to, to me and my girlfriend. And then straight away, they took me and the baby into this adjacent room and they were like it's not breathing properly and they were putting the gas mask oh my on, goodness and you're obviously stood there like having a panic attack yes uh as i and i think that's a normal reaction to to that situation <laughs> yes um but you know straight away i was presented with you know the stresses of being a parent yes um and the the deep fear of loss I mean, yeah. it, it, the loss of a child is, or the fear of loss of a child is a fear that no one ever can experience unless you've had a child. And, mm -hmm. and they actually, um, a loss of a child is a number one reason for, number one cause of divorce in the world. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's a big, yeah. So if you're, I actually had a, an emergency C-section with my first son. Oh, wow. And yeah. yeah. And so it, it, and it had to happen fast. Like uh, his heart rate went down and my husband said it was the ho- most scariest moment of his life of I could lose my wife and I could lose this child. And, and in the old days I would have been gone and probably your girlfriend would have been gone and they would have often saved the baby if they could. Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah. Yeah, we uh, just before this all happened, we were watching uh, House of the Dragon. I'm not, not sure if you've uh, seen. That. I haven't. I've heard of it from quite a few clients, but I haven't watched it. Okay, well, in the first episode, there's um, the the. I don't want to tell you too much, but oh, it's uh, okay. A childbirth scene, and um, you know this this woman dies in childbirth, and we were like, really, this is the worst timing ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We did not want to uh, to have that, but there we go. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to to kind of get into asking you some some questions about mm-hmm. about parenting and some of the difficulties and anxieties that can come up there. Obviously, today we're living in in quite a stressful world. Let's just put it that way. There's yes. a, a lot going on. It's um, I think it's a lot more complicated these days to be a parent mm-hmm. than it was, um, you know, during uh, during my youth, for example. Yeah. Um, what are some of the big challenges that you feel that that parents face today with with bringing up kids that you know that seems to cause parents a lot of anxiety? Well, I think that the biggest piece that's different from the past versus now is that parents have very very high expectations mm-hmm. of their child's development physically, emotionally, intellectually. There's a lot of pressure to be high achieving. Um, being, you know, big, strong, smart, getting, you know, being on the best soccer team or, you know, and there's a lot of pressure of, of, for the parents, but also for the child. I think that is really, you know, some of us call it helicopter parenting, but it's a little bit different. I think it's just this idea of wanting the best, Mm. but that creates a big pressure because the best is subjective. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and so often I, I find that, you know, people who do struggle with OCD, um, yeah. so often there is a link to perfectionism there. Yeah. Um, and there is a, I mean, part of it, it's, it's, it's that piece of it's, there's a couple of things we want the best for our child. So that mm-hmm. might be the basis of it all. We want the best for our child. And because parents are a lot more emotionally connected to their child ch- children now than they were, let's say 50 years ago or 60 years ago. There's like, we talk about attachment all the time. Now it's a big talk mm. in psychotherapy, mm. but so parents are more connected to the child, which is good because that creates security for the child. But what's negative is when the child's having struggles, the parent can sometimes become over-focused on like, oh my God, they're hurting or or, oh my God, you know, are you okay? And, and it creates this sense of, well, it, you know, like ch- children can become more anxious. They're, they're more afraid or they're also more inflated because all the focus is on yeah. and, you know, coming back to like parents and children, I often tell couples like the first focus needs to be the relationship mm. because we are wired now, like parents, most parents nowadays are wired to, to love and take care of their children at a pretty you know, positive 
capacity, if you will. Mm. But we need to put energy into the relationship because if there's no relationship, there's no family. Mm. And so it is like the, really working on the relationship between you and your partner. And mm. then you work together to work, work with the child. But it is also like, like I have a 20 year old and an 18 year old. And it's tough for me when my children are having pain. You know, like, like if, if they've been broken up with, or if they're struggling with the class or they're struggling with peers at, at school, I can listen to them and I can be supportive, but they only learn through hardship. They have to figure out who am I, what's important, what are my values, what do I want to work hard? Am I willing to do the hustle to make something happen or not? But parents tend to step in and, and want to cushion everything and want, you know, especially for older children, older children and young adults. And I remember my son was just, he's studying in Scotland this semester and he was going, he was going to Spain one weekend and, and he got to the Glasgow airport and his flight had been canceled. And so here he was at the airport Mm. and he was like, mom, what do I do? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the airline. I don't know what airport you're in. You're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. And I was just like, I said, I can, I can be here as as moral support and be like, you know, you can bounce ideas off of me, but you're going to have to figure this out. And he did. Yeah. And, and, you know, and my generation, I mean, I was out of the house and totally independent at, you know, I mean, a very young age, I went to boarding school, very young, but Mm. I just figured it out. A lot of parents do so much for their children and their, their young, their young adults and their, you know, like 20s, 30, 20, 22, 20, they do so much, but you're, you're kind of handicapping them. So it's it's almost like the you know the parents love them so much that they just yeah. don't they don't want them to struggle whatsoever. Right. Um, but in doing so, it's not giving them the opportunity to go out into the world to develop the skills and the yeah. independence that that they need to to have to be to be um, as successful as they as they can be. Right, and, and there's ways to like you know it, at all different ages of our children there's different ways to approach but like like my other my younger son and he like this was um during pandemic and he um you know i think it was 2021 it was last year where he was not having good grades in one of his science classes and he was going to about to fail and i was like getting on him and i was worrying like oh my god what if he fails and i was on him and finally i was like wait a minute this is his life and so I sat him down. I said, look, I love you no matter what. If you fail the class, I love you. If you pass the class, I love you. It's not going to alter our relationship at all. Mm. But if you want to work this job that you have set up for the summer and you want to hang out with your girlfriend over the summer and have freedom, you got to pass this class because if you don't, you're going to summer school. So it's totally on you and it's your your choice. Yeah. Within one week, that grade was up to a B minus. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I had to be unattached. I had to be unattached and I had to stop worrying. Oh my God, what is it going to mean if he fails this? And then his, like, and a lot of parents do this. Mm, Absolutely. Because we're, you know, we're older, wiser, we can see cause and effect and we can spiral like, oh, this could happen. This could happen. Young people's frontal lobes aren't even developed. They have a hard time seeing cause and effect. Mm. So they do learn by trying something, it not working out and being like, oh, well, that didn't work. But if parents are constantly stepping in to buffer, then they're not learning. Now, it doesn't mean that you 
turn away and don't look at all. It just means that you have conversations and you ask them, well, what do you think? Like ask your, your teenager first or your, you know, well, what do you think? And listen. Mm. <clears throat> can it, can it sometimes be the other way around as well, where, um, you know, some families, maybe they, they really love their kids, but they're so busy. Um, yeah. Maybe both parents are incredibly busy. They are successful working many hours. Um, maybe they have uh, somebody to, to take care of the kids sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you sometimes you can end up with too much, um, rather than parental or adult attachment, too much peer attachment. Yeah. Um, Especially with social media. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be a, a big problem, though, because if their main attachment is coming from, right. from peers, right? we know that that's a very unstable uh, attachment. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because um, when children reach a certain age, it's usually around 14. It might be happening sooner now because of um, social media and children having phones in, in 10, 11, 12. Mm. But once, once a child starts attaching more to their peers, it's the most important for a parent to be around. I often tease, my sons don't need me to be involved in their life. They just need me to stand by. Right. So, so even, you know, I trust my sons and they're, you know, I trust their judgments, but I still have to say, please let me know when you're home. Come tell me you're home. When are you planning on being home? It's not about control. It is about letting them know I'm here and and I am containing the space because children are like, they're like natural gas. It will fill the space that you create around them. If there's no boundaries and the parents are completely checked out, the world is huge and social media will absorb them. But mm. if we have a container, even if it's just, I'm here, I'm present, I'd like to have a little conversation, what's going on? It allows the child to feel like, okay, I have a containment. And if you think about it, when the children are small, they're in your home. It's a small space. Then they go maybe to childcare. Now it's a little bit bigger. And then they go home. And then they go to elementary school. And then it's a little bit bigger. And then they go home. And as the child develops, even just in size, their environment becomes bigger and bigger because they can handle it. Mm. But when parents are both working, and I get it, sometimes they have to, it could be that they have to both work to make ends meet, it could be that they're driven and they're building an empire or whatever, but it is important to stop and and be with your child and figure out what their love language is. Like, you know, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the love languages for couples. Mm, yeah. They actually have the same test for children and for I teenagers. Really, I and I had my teenagers do it and it helped because I was like, okay, my older son really is... Um, quality time. Mm. And I find if I spend time with him, the first, the first 20 minutes, he's, he gets kind of ir- agitated with me and irritated. And he kind of like picks, tries to pick a fight. And I just have to be very steady and just be in the car and we're going somewhere to do something together. And then once we get past this like little stage, then he's, it's lovely. And we laugh and we, he mm. opens up and he's sharing. My other son is words of affirmation. 
And mm. so I, I, I'm really mindful about using words and saying, I love you a lot more to him. You know, I say it to both of them, but I'm very mindful with my second son because words are really important to him. Mm. And he really thinks about, he really, he's a thinker and he thinks about what you said. And, and so I sit down on his bed and he's like, ah, why, why, get off my bed. Why are you here? I'm, I'm just visiting. And after the little buffer time, then he relaxes and then we start having the sharing. And so it is important for each child and parent to figure out what it is, how to connect. And every child's different. Yeah, really like that. That's uh, that's great. Um, okay. And um, if there's uh, parents listening who, you know, maybe they're listening because they have a child who's struggling with uh, anxiety or, or OCD, um, how can they, how can a parent approach that situation in the best way? Because yes. I imagine it's very, it's very difficult. It is. And, and I was reading an article this last weekend and the bottom line parents, including myself, our children learn primarily by what we do. If you want your child to meditate or have healthy habits, you have to demonstrate it. And so if your child is having anxiety or low self-esteem or depression, and you want to use meditation, you got to do it with them. And my younger son went through a, a bout of some pretty deep depression. And so he and I meditated and I sat with him every single night and we did it for six minutes together. And when I was out of town, my husband did it with him mm. and he did it for, he he did it for 120 days and did not miss. This was like age 11, but, but it's because we did it with him. It's yeah. our responsibility to <clears throat> demonstrate in our own behavior, but to also be there for them. They're not going to naturally gravitate to it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And um, if you, uh, a, bit of a, a bit of a tricky question sometimes this one, but if you only had one piece of advice for people who are really struggling right now mm -hmm. uh, with anxiety, OCD, other mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what would that advice be? I would, you know, I would say long, deep breathing. If you're having a, if you're having a panic attack or your, your mind's racing, it's super simple and people say it all the time. Just take a deep breath and, and do it again and again and again, and your body will relax and your mind will relax. Mm. Yeah. That's really great advice. Um, I sometimes work with the, uh, the five, seven, uh, yeah. breathing. I've heard As, that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a wonderful way to, to activate the parasympathetic system. Yeah. It's almost like you don't have a choice if you do it for yeah. long enough it's going to happen. You're going to calm down. Yeah. There's actually a really funny story. David Burns is a pretty well-known author and he's a professor at Stanford. He wrote um, Feeling Good and then Feeling Great. And he, I watched a video of him many years ago with a patient of his who was having a full-blown panic attack in his office. And he said, stand up and run in place. And she was like, what? And she's like, but my heart's racing. I'm going to die. And oh my God, I can't I stand up and run in place. And he got up and he in the, and started running in place. And, and she started running in place. I can't, I can't just keep running in place. Because what happened was she, she relaxed. Mm. Because exercise forces you to take deep breaths because you're mm. running. Yeah. 
and then she relaxed and the panic attack was over. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah. yeah, so so it sounds really bizarre and strange, but if you're having a full panic attack or your mind's just racing and you're catastrophizing, mm-hmm. go for a run. Hop in the cold shower because the cold water is going to, like, it makes Absolutely. you take a big breath. And then yeah. what do you do after that? You have to exhale. And you the water hits your body again. And then you exhale. So hydrotherapy does shock the system. And I've had clients text me who are in, in full on panic. And I say, go hop in a cold shower and drink a big glass of cold of water. It doesn't have to be cold. Actually, room temperature is better. Big glass of water. And then you're it out because it flushes your it flushes your system yeah and they and they they sure enough say oh my god i actually feel better that's like yeah 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 the uh the cold shower is a fantastic trick it's something that i use all the time myself yeah yeah and and here's like one thing to add to that like these are tricks that you can use in the moment but Mm. here's the bottom line if you really want to stop having anxiety or ocd or panic attacks you got to go talk to somebody or commit to daily journaling and follow some prompts. There's a lot of resources online mm. to really uncover what is, what is my fear base? Mm. Because anxiety and stress is, is based on fear yeah. and fear. It, it limits us and, mm. and it's, you know, it's a stressor in your body. And so you got to look at, is it real fear or is it imaginary fear? Yeah. Because your body does not just dis- does not distinct between the two. Your body is not like if you're worrying like, oh my god, what if like what if I fly tomorrow and my plane crashes? Your body's thinking like, oh my god, this is happening right now. Your amygdala is going. Your whole body's reacting, and now you're full on anxiety. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The yeah. Uh, the brain doesn't really know the difference between a made up story and the and reality. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. Um, if if people want to um, to know more about you and to, and, and about your book, uh, what can they do? They can look me up online. My website is mutternan.com, M-A-D-H-U-R-N-A-I-N.com or on Instagram, mutternan. And I um posting there I actually it's my birthday tomorrow I'll be 50 or not uh, sorry in two days I'll be 50 oh happy birthday thank you and so (laughs) I actually created my first meditation called I matter and it's a meditation that helps us with um low self-esteem or grandiosity Mm. so it's going to be free so if you want to get it for free just go to my website and um, join my email list that's fantastic Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It's been really nice talking to you. Thank you for having me on the show. I loved it. Just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session, all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.